Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm asking you again to please anoint my memory, anoint my lips to speak more truth about your love. <clears throat> in the name of Jesus, truly may revelation flow into the hearts of the people who listen to this so that they have more than just sound tickling their ears, but they might receive in their spirit the length, the height, the breadth, and the depth of your love that is toward us and that you want working in us and that you want working through us. I give you praise and honor, Father, and I believe I receive insight. I believe I receive your touch that all of us might grow in grace and receive more understanding of how deep your love is for us all. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. But last week I spoke about the foundation, like Paul said in Ephesians, remember uh, how he said, I pray that you might be rooted deep in the love of God. And of course, the root system we spoke of is where all our nutrients come from. A plant, a tree is only as healthy as its root system and what it's rooted in. And we are to be rooted in the love of God. And then it said to be founded securely on the love of God. The foundation determines the strength of a house's ability to stand in times of storms. And love is the big issue, that you might be rooted deep in love, founded, founded, founded securely in God's love. And then he went on to say, so that you might have the power to apprehend and comprehend what is the length, height, depth, and breadth of this love, four dimensions. And then he went on to say, and because of this, if this is at work within you, now God is able to carry out his purpose and to do super abundantly, far above and beyond anything that you could dare ask, think, or dream, infinitely, infinitely beyond your highest prayers. Hallelujah. Think about that. All dependent upon, will we root ourselves in the love of God? Will we actually discover what it means to have God's love for us? God loves me. God loves you. To actually begin to plumb the depths of that and then to realize we have the capacity to love others with the same life-changing, life-transforming love. Hallelujah. Well, there's so much. I'm kind of fired up because I watched just coincidentally I turned on God TV yesterday, and Mike Bickle was teaching at his Passion for Conference, Passion for Jesus Conference, and he's teaching on the love of God. He's got a, a please go see it if you can. Go up to God TV. It's called, um, you know, it's Passion for Jesus, and it's Mike Bickle's session number three, okay? Uh, I will definitely speak to a little bit about it. I actually wrote some of the stuff down because he just so hit me. He had, oh, it's beautiful. You know, let me look. So today we're going to go, like I said, I'm just going to speak to some of these things afresh. We're going to build for weeks here. But one of the more foremost scriptures is in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. So let's read Romans 2, chapter 4 in the Amplified Bible. Listen to this. Paul says, really? Incline your ears. And catch the strength of what the Spirit of God says to this. Are you so blind as to trifle with, to trifle with the love of God? Are you so blind as to trifle with and presume upon and despise or underestimate the wealth of God's kindness and forbearance and long-enduring patience? And then this powerful truth. Are you unmindful 
or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness, say God's kindness, are you ignorant of the fact that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, to change your mind and inner man, that you might accept God's will? In other words, that's the entire intent of his love and his kindness. His kindness, if you allow the revelation of his love for you and his kindness towards you to actually strike you, if you dare to begin, just say, I receive it, that's what begins to change the way you think. That begins to change everything about your life. I'm loved by God. Now, I wrote down here, one of the greatest mistakes Christianity made in times past was to use fear to motivate people to change. A scriptural basis has always been and always will be that it's love that causes people to alter their lives and change for the better because God's love is unconditional. Years ago, you know, one of a famous, famous uh, pat, or, um, sermon, uh, good Lord, Jonathan Edwards, he, he taught this sermon often called The Man in the Hands of an Angry God. And when you read the accounts of him speaking this message, he would begin to depict that, you know, God was holding mankind over the very fires of hell by a little spiderweb thin little bit of string just holding dangliness over hell itself. At any given moment, at any given moment because of our sin, it would just snip that and we would burst into flames and fall into hell forever. And they said he could speak this with such intensity, such strength, such just power that people would just burst into tears and they'd fall off their chairs crying and weeping because of the fear, oh my God, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell. Well, it got some results, but that wasn't God's perfect plan. It never has been. It says right here, are you ignorant of the fact that it's God's kindness, God's goodness, God's love that is in the intent of heaven to cause the way we think and live to change. You can't get any clearer than that. Ephesians 1 uh, verses 4 and 5, I read these last time as well from the Amplified, but I'm going to read it from the Living Bible just because it tickles me. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 from the Living Bible. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes. Without a single fault, we who stand before him covered with his love. You're covered with his love. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're literally covered with his love. And then verse 5. I love this. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt... See, believe this first. See, believe it. Don't just quote it. Don't just let your ears be tickled by it, like I said. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. But this last little sentence in the Living Bible is what corrects me up. It says, and he did this because he wanted to. <laughs> love is love. Love, like we say, is not fulfilled until it gives itself away. Love wanted to do this. Love wanted to adopt you and I into his family and make 
us sons and daughters. And he did this because he couldn't help himself, because he wanted to, because that's what love wants to do. Love wants to bring people into more and more relationship. Love wants to bring people into more and more peace. Love wants to bring people into more and more security, more hope, more depth of understanding that it's all going to be okay. Hallelujah. And here's another verse, Ephesians 1, 6. It's just where he finished then in the Amphite. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, again, this is speaking past tense. So catch this. God, when you accepted Jesus, he made you accepted in the beloved. That means in the kingdom, in his plan. He made you accepted. You're accepted. You are not rejected. See, that's the depth of what happens. Every iota of the thought of rejection from any aspect of life is destroyed when you realize the Father God Almighty loves you. He loves you. But look at here, the, the word therefore accepted in the Greek, I just thought that was interesting, is the Greek word charitou. It's C-H-A-R-I-T-O-O. -O. Quote, this is what it means. To be highly favored, graced and endued with special honor. You've been graced and you've been endued with special honor. And it says it's the same word as in Luke 1.28 when the angel spoke to Mary about the birth of Jesus. You've been accepted. You're part of his family now. That's how much you're loved. It doesn't say anything to do about your sin because remember, Christ became sin for us took upon himself the penalties, the punishment, and the guilt for any and all sin of mankind. And Hebrews, it upsets people when it says, through that blood, he hath forgiven us eternally. We are forever forgiven. Yes, we do we still make mistakes? Absolutely, we still make mistakes. But in Christ now, we rise above our mistakes because we'll have the revelation that when I make a mistake, I just go, Father, I blew it. Forgive me, would you cleanse me from that? And he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from any other unrighteousness simply because of he is love. You've got to catch this. See, love isn't an aspect of his character. Love is his very being. Everything about heaven is love. Everything. Anyhow. So God's love has come to us without reservation by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When you speak of God's love toward us, you're speaking of the work of the blood of Jesus itself and the redemption that it purposed for us. Hallelujah. Now, like I said, I watched Mike Bickle. Um, you know, we had the honor of having him in our church years back, him and Misty Edwards, you know, incredible psalmist. And um, anyhow, he really honored us too much to get into right now. But he was, he was teaching this this morning. Like I said, I really pray you go on God TV and watch this. It was phenomenal, phenomenal, can't even talk, phenomenal to me. And he, one of the, he read this again. One of the verses, he, you know, it was really Matthew 22, 37 through 38, when Jesus, when the Pharisee asked him, what is, the, what is the, the great commandment? But now think about the depth of this. Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind and intellect. Now, we talked about that the very first Sunday. But then Jesus said this, and this is the preeminent truth of all Scripture. Jesus said, this is the great, the most important, the principle, and the first commandment. 
Jesus said, of all the commandments there are, this is the great commandment, that you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your being. You see, because that's how God loves you, with all his heart. God, can you understand? God loves you with all his mind. He loves you with all his being. He, lo he, he loves you that mightily. I want to quote that part again, but think about this. This, Jesus said, this is the great, the most important, the principle, the first commandment. Jesus said, above any and all other of heaven's revelation to planet earth, this is the issue. This is the priority. This is the, the focus of all of heaven, that we understand that love, loving God, is the principle, the great the most important, the, Jesus said, is the very most important commandment of all commandments. So don't you see it? Like I quoted last week, that's why Romans and other places in the Pauline epistles, it says, if you actually get this one commandment, that all the other commandments are fulfilled in this one. That's why I said, like last week, like I said, when I saw that all those years ago, I thought to myself, you see, if I can get this one, if I can pursue the love of God, if I can actually begin to comprehend at least a little bit, I know we'll never have it all down here, but if I can begin to get that much, it will take care of my concerns about obedience and any of the others because loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, it just causes you to be on automatic to do these other things that God would desire to do the things that would please him as opposed to things that would displease him. So let me go on here, because like I said, I'm just going to read some of these things I wrote down. I have to listen. This is some of the stuff that I caught while I was listening to Mike Bickle. Love me with everything you have. That's what God said. He said, you, gotta, you need to love me with everything you have. And I said, why? Is God some egotist that needs to be placated? In other words, is he just, I just want you to love me because I'm cool? No, no. See, because it, he is love. Everything about love is full of purpose. Everything about love is full of wanting the desire to bless and to benefit, the desire to benefit someone, the desire to benefit. That's the core of what the God kind of love is. I want to benefit you. I want to benefit you, spirit, soul, life, all, uh, everything. So think on this. He knows if we really give our all to him, he can give his all to us. I used to say this years ago, when God sees me, when God sees you, let's put you, when God sees you walking down the street and he sees you loving like he loves, you know what he sees? He sees, he sees himself in you. And what the Lord said to me all those years ago, don't you understand? If I can see myself in you, I can trust you with my power, with my insight with my wisdom. I can trust you with my strategies because I see that I'm in you by how you're loving like I love. Do you understand how powerful that is? To me, that's incredible. Think on this. In heaven right now, God fully loves his son because everything about God is wholehearted. He doesn't partially love anybody. He doesn't look at this guy and say, well, man, this guy's a mess. I love him a little bit, but I can't love him much because, I mean, my God, look at his life. <laughs> my God. You know, anyhow. 
But you see my point? But see, that's not possible because God, everything about him is full. Everything about him is on 100%. There's no such thing as 50% of God. <clears throat> God loves us wholeheartedly. And he loves you even in the midst of your issues and your problems. AI, even in the midst of your continual sinning and missing. He still loves you wholeheartedly. Because he cannot be any other way. Do you hear that? He cannot be any other person or any other way. That's his being, wholehearted. In heaven, God fully loves his son. Think about this dynamic between the Trinity. God fully loves his son and his son who fully loves the Father and his Father who truly loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fully loves Jesus. The Holy Spirit fully loves the Father. Jesus fully loves the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is a dynamic that just, that's what heaven is. It's this incredible creative matrix, this absolute essence of heaven is this love, this God kind, this stuff that God is made of. It permeates all of heaven. And it actually, like David, I think I read last week in the psalm, David says, we're compassed round about with his mercy and his loving kindness. All through the Old Testament, his mercy, his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his mercy, his loving kindness, not just kindness, but loving kindness, his not just love, but steadfast love, the strength of Hasid, the strength of the covenant. So this heavenly dynamic is so fully loved that they in heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, wanted their family love dynamic that they had there to be duplicated in their creation here. So they brought about this thing called salvation. Think about that. They brought about this thing, we're going to create mankind, and they're going to love, I'm going to fellowship with them. That's what his int original intent with Adam was. I'm going to walk with them every day. They're going to know how much I love them, and they're going to love me back. And, of course, man was deceived, and they fell. But God's love didn't change. No, God's love didn't change. So then he never, because it never changed, he created the plan of salvation, whereby by his grace he would no longer impute our sins to us, but by the obedience of Jesus Christ to become flesh, dwell on earth as a man, be tempted in every way like as we are, yet without sin, went to the cross to the obedience of death itself, that God might redeem you and I again, that we could again walk in his love and recognize his love for us, and then Begin to allow that same love to flow to the rest of humanity. Good God Almighty. Thank you, Father. God can't love partially. He loves with all of his heart and all of his mind. Do you understand that God loves you with all of his heart, with all of his mind? God loves you with all his mind, all his soul and his being. If we could study the character of God, we'd find that wholehearted love is at the heart of his reality. Love is first in his... Think about this. See, love is first. In heaven, in God, there's no such thing as love being a secondary thought or, or an option. Love isn't an option. Love is. So I just wrote it down this way. Love is first in his every thought. Think about this. His every thought of you... His every thought of you, the first thing in his every thought about you is love. I love you. Hmm. Love 
is the very first thing in his purposes, whatever the purposes are that he receives or that he releases. Love is the first thing in his actions. Love is always first and foremost in heaven's mind, in heaven's thoughts, in heaven's actions. Selah. Salvation is so much more than escaping hell, more than the gifts, more than the power. To him, it's the opportunity to consistently interact with the family dynamic of love that permeates all heaven. All of his gifts of power are outflows of his burning love. That's a statement that Mike made, the burning love. All of his gifts and power are outflowed. But think about that. Catch it. All of his gifts, all of the power, they're just outflow of love. That's what love has. That's why the more of that love we discipline ourselves, the more opportunity of that power and that stuff that we have to fulfill his purposes, not our, not our ego. Everything is. God's love is the context of everything we were created for. Serving him isn't the big deal as far as doing what he's asking us to do. But sharing him, sharing, being in relationship with him, loving on him, letting him love on you. That's the context of everything we were created for. I said, sharing his love. I'm talking about God and I talking with each other, loving each other, sharing with each other, is the context of everything you and I were created for. Much more than doing this, much more than our vision, much more than our platforms, much more than our church meetings, much more than our giant conferences. The thing that delights him the most is when we get to love each other. And I mean, that's God wanting, I, I, he wants your fellowship. He, ups, he loves your fellowship. That's why prayer isn't, isn't a task any longer because you love being with someone you love. And when you actually fall in love with Jesus and the Father, you don't have to, you, you make sure there's opportunity to be near them because of how beautiful, how remarkable, how fulfilling it is just to be in his presence. Hallelujah. Sharing him with ourselves and others is the prime issue to heaven. Love. Hallelujah. Now I'd like to go to another verse, but I want you to think on those things. Here's 1 John 4, 11. When you consider everything I just said about the depth of heaven, they're just altogether overwhelming, wholehearted love. And that's what's coming to you. And that's what's coming to me. And that's what defines everything. And then you read 1 John 4, 11. The Apostle John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now that's it in a nutshell. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. If we actually begin to comprehend the height, the length, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God toward us, toward us, then we see why this John is an old apostle now, but just before he's going home on the island of Patmos, if God really loved us that much, we ought also to love one another. I mean, how simple is it? You know, another thing Mike said, he spoke about in John uh, John 15, you know, where it simply says where Jesus said, he said he feels this phrase is the central, most important, powerful phrase in all of Scripture when Jesus said, abide in my love. See, it's not something we're supposed to live. I mean, uh, visit, rather. It's not supposed to, something we're supposed to visit. Abide means to live. He says, Jesus said, I want you to live here. 
He didn't tell you to live. Now, don't get upset. He didn't tell you to live in prayer. He didn't tell you to live in the power of the gifts of the Spirit. He didn't tell you to live in prophecy. He didn't live you to tell, he didn't tell us to live in conferences. He told us, I want this to be the place you're anchored to. I want you to be, I want this to be the place you call home. Abide in this love matrix that heaven is made of. I want you to live there. Whatever else your focuses may be is fine at times. You can always have a, you can have a focus on prophecy for a season. You can have a focus on prayer. You can have a focus on the gifts of the Spirit. All that's vital. All that's important. However, the foundation is my love, he said. The foundation. Never, ever leave the foundation. Never, ever come to anything else without coming from the prospect or the perspective of this abiding love. Everything, that's why Paul said, circumcision, uncircumcision, avails nothing, but only faith that is working by love. Only stuff that's being energized, activated, initiated, because of this principle of love. See, love is what's, God's love is what's supposed to start any vision. God's love is what is intended to be the issue that begins any work for God. If it's not from love, you see, it can be an idea. But is it in alignment with God's actual heart? See, this is why the love of God really begins to just really do a work on your motives and really keeps you aware. Is there anything in me that wants me elevated in something? And see, that's what love does. Love purges you from that because you just see the glory of the Father, the glory of God is so great. How can I even begin to consider myself anything in the light of his glory? And yet he calls me his son. And he calls you his son and daughter. And he imputes his right standing into your spirit. And you become a son or a daughter of God and a member of his own household. So there is a something that indeed there is a... But it has to be a... I ha, I've been trying to be careful. I don't want to use the word pride. <clears throat> but I don't know what other word to use. <clears throat> a holy confidence. I'm God's son. I am God's son. I've got eternal life right now. Bless God, I've made it. I've made it. Uh, Mike said he uh, he said he loves to look at the stars. I do too, because I grew up like you know in the mountains, and I love up in the mountains. There's no junk, you know. You can see a billion, billion, billion stars. And Mike said he likes to go out and just look at the stars. And he says, I say this out loud. I'm just quoting him. You can watch it on the video. And I'm giving, like I said, this is him. I have this isn't mine. But he just said he looked up, and he said, I look up, and I just he says I can't help. I say it out loud. I look at all the stars knowing that I'm only seeing a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what's out there. And I go, God, you're so smart. I said, and he starts laughing. He said, but the thing is that when he says that, he said, God, you're so smart. You've done all this and you love me. And you love wholeheartedly, have accepted me cherished me i'm your son you love me. you've done all of this you're that big and i'm the pupil of your eye you 
are the object of God's affection. Oh my gosh, what this does, it changes the way you think, it changes the way you feel, it changes the way you decide, it changes everything. You begin, when you begin to see from this perspective, life just under, it becomes understandable and you don't get so caught up in the amount of years you're even going to be here because you know I've got eternity to spend with the most high love forever. And down here in this little breadth of time, this little breath of air, like, like James said, you know, what is your life? It is but a breath that appeareth and it vanisheth away. But whatever length of time this breath has, why not really seek God's love? And why not really seek to have that kind of passion for people work through me to others? It makes everything better. It causes you to forgive so much easier. People who are unaware, can I use the word ignorant? Ignorant means you just don't have the information. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you're not aware. People who are unaware of this truth, you know, they hurt others. They hurt themselves constantly. They, uh, they, irrit they get irritated by anything and everything. They're impatient, all of that. And, you know, it's not that we don't all still slip at times. I guarantee you I do. But what I'm getting at, you know so quickly, they've not actually tasted this that Jesus speaks of when he says, abide in this stuff. They don't really, they haven't really understood what Paul, why he says all this, this one command, it takes care of all the rest of them. And you begin to have more and more compassion because whatever it is, whatever little you see, you begin to see that just maybe you might see a little bit more than they do. And so it's easy not to look at them and go, ha, 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 you know, I'm better than they. No, no, that's the furthest thing from your thought life. You go, Father, please, let me somehow be as patient with them as you are with me. Let them, let may I have a wholehearted desire to be a blessing to them, not a cursing. May I love them whatever, however they need to be loved right now, knowing that there's so much more. But grant me the patience. That's why, like Paul said to Timothy, he said, the servant of the Lord must be patient, instructing those who oppose themselves, that peradventure they'll acknowledge the truth, in this case, the truth of God's love, and recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who takes them captive at his own will. People are their own worst enemies for sure. So John says, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The entire key to evangelism is the love of God working through us towards others. However, we must have the awe of knowing that the creator of the universe has chosen us in his love. That's what we get from Ephesians 1.4. It's through this truth that the confidence comes to live out our faith and demonstrate his love to others. Another verse I like is Psalm 92, 15. The last verse says, we are to be living memorials to show that God is upright and faithful to his promises. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. We're to be living memorials. We are to testify of the love of God. There's the love of God. When I look at this guy, when I look at this woman, I see the love of God in him. I see their patience. I see their long suffering. I see how they just continue to work with people that in the natural they actually don't deserve it. But see, none of us deserve any of this.
But God so loved the world that he gave his most valuable, he gave himself, he gave his, own, his only begotten son. Think about that even. I know you've heard it before, but God didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. See, everything again is this picture of the intensity. It's not some lightweight something. Love is the biggest stuff you'll ever miss with. Mess with. I mean, God's love. The agape love. It's the Father's intent. I need to wind this down. It's the Father's intent that we, through our knowledge of Him, our confidence and faith in Him, show the rest of the world that He is faithful to His promises. The world has heard much but seen little. We are to demonstrate His love. We are to demonstrate His love. Remember that the, without the love of God as our foundation, Paul said, all are giving. Our great prophecies, the gifts of the Spirit in our lives are counted as nothing before God. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Remember, if you have all wisdom, if you have knowledge, if you give your body to be burned, but have not love, you're a useless nobody. Think about that in the light of what we're talking about. And then finally, 1 John 4, 12, the apostle says, No man hath seen God at any time. Do you believe the verse? Do you believe the scripture? No man hath seen God at any time. But, but, if we'll love one another, if we'll love one another, God will dwell and live in us. And his love, it says in the King James, is perfected in us. It says in the Amphibia, his love comes to perfection or maturity in us. In other words, what the scripture is saying, no man hath seen God at any time. But if we really begin to discipline ourselves to love like God loves, God will be seen in you and me. The way the world is going to see God, who he really is, his love, his passion to help, is when they see him in you. I want to help you. I want to be a benefit. I don't want something from you. I want to get something to you. I want to get the grace of God. I want to get the forgiveness to you. I want to get the love to you. I want to give you the peace that I walk in. What an incredible thing. The Father wants himself to be seen in the earth. Once real love is seen, one can't help but be drawn to it. And that, again, is one of the major keys of why this love walk is so important. When you actually see what it is, I guarantee you, you literally, like, forgive me, the proverb says, you literally have to be a fool, a fool, to not want to get near this God. This is why so many people have butchered the truth and said that God causes, you know, these disasters. It's a God, you know, it's an act of God when this hurricane came and killed everybody, you know. Those aren't acts of God. All that can never be understood until you understand it from the perspective of covenant and mankind's breaking God's ways. All we got to do is recognize that the first, the great, the most important commandment is this. We love God with everything that's within us because then he, you, or rather, begin to see how much he loves you and that changes everything. Amen. God bless you. Talk to you next week.